this is Barbara Castiglia of Modern Restaurant Management. Um, today we're going to talk about ghost kitchens, the scary ghost kitchens, um, and um, and restaurants and and where things are going. And um, and and I'll say I'm really amped to talk to this person because uh, you'll see why in a minute. Yeah, you know, and just to talk about um, you know the restaurant industry, where we are now, what we're where we're going, uh, some of the challenges that we're facing, and um, you know, and some of the things that are going on that um, are innovative and and should be noted because it's the lifeblood of what's going on in the restaurant industry. Um, so with me is the co-founder and chief executive officer of Amps Kitchens, Mott Smith. So welcome, Mott. Hey, Barbara. So first, explain what Amped Kitchens is for everybody. Okay, Amped Kitchens, if you, if you look at it physically, it's like an apartment building, except instead of being filled with little homes, it's filled with a variety of kitchen spaces. Um, we've got three buildings right now, and we're growing. Uh, each of them is about, you know, ranging from 50 to over 100,000 feet with 50 to 60 kitchens inside. And we solve a problem that has really tormented the, the the restaurant and food industry for many, many years, which is that there hasn't been a great solution for companies that are growing out of either uh, you know, their, their first facilities, whether that's a, a home kitchen, a shared kitchen, a, a single location brick and mortar restaurant, and they're not quite ready to make a massive investment in multi-million dollar facilities of their own. And what we've discovered actually is that that's pretty much every food company. Uh, it, it, it's it's not only food companies at an early stage of growth. It's it's well established food companies that are launching new brands, new lines, uh, going into new regions, etc. And so we provide that solution for companies that are growing and are in that uh, you know that that stage where they're still figuring out exactly where to aim. So where are your locations physically? Right now, we've got two locations in Los Angeles, and uh, during the pandemic, we opened up a third location, which is our, our biggest and, and best yet in Chicago, and we're poised in 2023 to start looking at locations four and five and beyond. And where in the country would you be looking? What are the ones that you say would be uh, the most primed for success? So this is a really interesting question, and it's a live question right now at Amped. And we, you know, we we used to think that Amped had to be in places that were kind of foodie, like say the you know the the Austins or the Portlands or the LAs or New Yorks of the world. Um, the truth is, our our tenants, the 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 food brands that that occupy Amped, are they're wonderful companies, and they are doing really kind of meat and potatoes work of making food that people eat without being necessarily completely cutting edge or uh somehow um you know, so, so, so somehow out, out hugely outside the box. And so we've, we've realized that every place where there are people who eat is a place where you need people who are making food, meaning that truly any, um, you know, any, any metro of sufficient population is a candidate for an apt. And, uh, we're looking at all of them right now. Tell me a little bit about your background in hospitality and how you came to co-found Amped. 
Yeah, sure. So my business partner, Brian Albert, and I are uh, real estate developers, and we're not hospitality guys. I mean, I, I have experience in hospitality because I used to be a, a, a full-time musician. And so I spent a lot of time in bars and clubs and, and got to know that side of the industry. But our our thing is using real estate development to help kind of set the table for communities to express what you know, more of their own identity. Um, we are kind of anti-homogenization people. You know, we don't, we don't like, we don't like the idea that if you're going to develop a new retail center somewhere, that chances are it's going to have very corporate bland tenants and very bland, uh, appearances. We, we love the fact that every community in this country has people who are ready to do something awesome, whether it's a restaurant or, or a bar or a cafe. Face, you know, create some neighborhood center um, and create some kind of vitality that way. And so real estate development is the way we we help in that enterprise. And we were very early on in um, our careers building like small urban housing projects, things like, like townhouse projects, uh, entry-level housing for people uh, in fun neighborhoods around Los, An Los Angeles. And when the uh, real estate crash came in 2007, 2008, we found that we were lucky that we were still in business and we still had some money in our pockets. But we were competing over these little sites with massive multinational corporations like, you know, Lennar and KB Home and people like this. And so it was tough for us to get new projects, which was a real surprise. So uh, Brian and I would would usually go out for you know, coffee or dinner or whatever and, and, and brainstorm about what would what would be next. And there was a restaurant that a friend of ours owned in Hollywood that we were hanging out at. And he came over to us during dinner one night and said, you know what really pisses me off? I know all these amazing bakers, but I can't buy any of their bread from my restaurant because they can't get their licenses. And I was like, huh, that's really interesting. And so that's when the light bulb went off for us, that there's there's got to be a market for people who would like to sell wholesale, whatever it is they're making, and are hitting a, a regulatory wall. Right. So, you know, what is that process like, you know, that uh, say I'm someone and I'm, I make really great cookies and yeah. I want to take that leap. And what's that process of, of meeting with you and then, um, you know, deciding to collaborate and work together? Yeah. So we are um, we're big believers in people and we think that every business out there is going to create its own mentorship networks. It's going to create its own um, you know, vendor and customer relationships. And it's really going to find its its own niche. And it's going to benefit from being part of a community where, you know, you can knock on your neighbor's door and say, hey, I need, you know, I, I need organic certification. Do you know somebody who can do that? But for the most part, people are going to kind of find their way. And so we really, really consciously didn't want to be evangelists. Uh, we don't want to tell people we know how you should run your business. And so we're not an incubator. We're not an accelerator. At the same time, we know that because of the way food facilities are regulated in, in, in the U.S. and the world, really, food companies spend years and hundreds of thousands of dollars upfront on compliance, not on their core business. And our goal was to create a place where people could cut 
months and months off of that pre-operation phase and save literally hundreds of thousands of dollars and hit the ground running with a lot more resources in their pocket than they had before. And so that's, that's the idea. You know, it, we, we are creating, we, we have created a place where you can sign a lease with us and literally within four to six weeks be legally operating as a, as, as a food business. Um, and instead of spending, you know, millions of dollars, you're spending tens of thousands of dollars or a hundred thousand dollars and and that's that's um that's our that, that's our thing right so it's kind of just cutting the barriers to you know success kind of the things that might hold people back because you know it looks too daunting of a process yeah that's right i mean you, you hear these these aphorisms like you know most restaurants fail within the first three years of operation and we're really proud of the fact that in our seven years of operating Amped, uh, only a handful of companies have left us because they've gone out of business. I mean, literally only a handful. The vast majority of the companies in Amped continue to renew their relationship with us. And the ones that do move out, almost, I would say, you know, 90 plus percent of them move out because they're moving to a bigger facility or to a facility of their own. And I... I believe that the failure rate in the restaurant industry is not because restaurant owners don't know what they're doing and food brands don't know what they're doing. I think it's because, like I said before, they, you know, they, they deplete all of their resources on activities that are not core to their business before they're allowed to be in business. And so that's the world that we want to change. Right. So what would you say are some of those things that they're um, you know, spending money on that maybe should be better allocated to other things? Yeah, so the, you know, the the top things that people spend their money on, uh, it, well, well I, I should say that when we started AMP, we kind of had an inkling that this was an issue. We immediately called up Whole Foods and said, "Hey, could you? We know you've got a local buying program. Could you introduce us some introduce us to some of the food brands that you are trying to buy from but can't." for whatever reason. And uh, they connected us with a bunch of people. And there was another organization called Food Centricity, um, which is um, kind of a food uh, accelerator program in, in Los Angeles. And they connected us with a bunch of people. And Brian and I interviewed probably 100 small food companies before we opened. And we literally could have stopped after the second interview because the experiences were almost the same for everybody, which is they, you know, like, like you were talking about, you're, you're making cookies. They had a great recipe, a great product. Maybe they were selling at farmers markets. And then as soon as they get their first opportunity to sell to a Whole Foods or a Costco or uh, someone like this, they suddenly are in the wholesale regulation world and they go down to the health department and they find out that they need not just a commercial kitchen, but a commercial kitchen that, that is you know, supercharged with all kinds of health and safety protocols. And first of all, understanding what you need to do to comply is a major barrier because if you're making great cookies, you're probably, I mean, you might be a lawyer, but you know, chances are that your business right now is not focused on understanding, you know, food, food compliance law. Um, there's understanding it. There's getting stuff designed. There is going through the building permit process, the health permit process. I mean, all in all, when we when we looked at what people were spending time wise, the the typical food business was spending twelve to eighteen months on compliance before they would open. And then money wise, at the time we did this, which was back in two thousand twelve, the typical business was spending just shy of five hundred thousand dollars on getting the table 
stable set with their facility before they could start operating. And as, as you know, the, the number could be much higher than that, yeah. especially now. So, you know, let's talk about, you know, some of the people who've come through the doors uh, over the past few years. Who are some of the people that you would highlight as success stories? Um, yeah. So a lot of the brands that operate out of Amped, um, you, they don't necessarily talk about the fact that they're operating out of Amped. So, you know, you, you, you'd you be surprised at some of the, the national and international brands that you see when, when, when walking down uh, the halls. But it's everything from, from, from them to, to local mom and pops. And some, one of my favorite stories is about a company called Fourth and Heart Ghee. And this is a company that makes ghee, you know, Indian clarified butter for, for those not, not in the know, um, which is not only a staple of Indian cooking, it's also very popular with paleo and whole 30 diets and 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 uh, things like that and it was this was a company founded by by two young entrepreneurs uh, each of whom had come out of uh, professional jobs corporate jobs and they had beautiful branding they were at farmers markets they came to us and they they uh, operated out of one of our very smallest kitchens and about two and a half years later, um, well, I, 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 I'm skipping ahead, but say about six or so months after they started operating with us, they got a massive order from an online retailer, like 10,000 units. And they came to us and said, we just got this life-changing order that we want to say yes to. Can we move to a larger kitchen? And it just so happened that somebody had moved out of one of the larger spaces. And we were able over a weekend to move them into a larger space that you know probably tripled or quadrupled their production capacity. And plus, because Amped has things like packing rooms that anybody in the building can use, we have loading docks. We also have staff that are forklift trained. So when you start getting giant orders, you don't need to hire a forklift driver. We'll move that pallet out for you to the, to the truck. They were able to confidently say yes to that order. And by the time they moved out of Amped about two years later, they were America's second largest ghee company. And that's a, I mean, that, that's a great story, but it's a, it's a fairly typical story for how people grow with us. So, you know, how just you, you know, listen to you tell that story, you know, how does that make you feel that you've, you know, played a big role in helping somebody, you know, achieve something so massive? Yeah, we don't really feel, uh, I mean, we're, we're, we're thrilled about it and, but I, I don't want to take too much credit for sure. it because what we really, what we really feel is that our job is to remove the barriers and provide the platform. And then it's, you know, it's the tenants themselves who are going to survive and who are going to thrive and, and, and succeed. And, I, I, I am very proud of the fact that we have removed barriers and provided a meaningful platform for growth for companies like Fourth and Heart. And, uh, that's why, that's why we're alive and it's why we're in business. And, but, but again, it's not like they, <clears throat> it's not like they signed on to, uh, you know, our, our program and they followed our program and they achieved all the success. No, I mean, they, they came to Amped and because they weren't beating their heads against the wall trying to get their building permits, they they were able to spend their resources on making, you know, the best ghee you can get. And they really knocked it out of the park. Right. So is there anybody doing anything similar to what you're doing? So who you would say would be your competition? That's a great question. Okay, when we started, there was no such thing as a multi-tenant kitchen. And so as far as we know, we were the first multi-tenant kitchen 
uh, builder and operator in the U.S. because we we founded our, our company back in 2012 and we opened our first facility back in 2014. Um, after we opened, several others kind of followed along, um, and you know, th there there have always been, even before Amped, um, these shared kitchens where you have multiple stations, you know, six or eight stations, and people come in and rent by the hour. And what was what was new with us was this idea of having your own sort of suite, your own your own room that is yours with your sign out front and the door locks, and it's your own space. Um, people who have followed along after us have tended to be ghost kitchen focused. So much less on the production side and much more on the food service side. Now we do have food service tenants. Um, we do have some ghost kitchen tenants. I mean, right now we've, we've got over 200 kitchens in our portfolio and I would say about 5% are doing delivery. Um, most of our food service tenants are, doing commissary work where they're um they're doing sort of back of house prep work that makes their retail locations more more profitable and more effective um but yeah but the, the competition is mostly ghost kitchens there there are a few other small operators out there who are doing good work providing platforms uh companies like you know revolving kitchens out of dallas um and uh prep out of atlanta um but these are still more kind of uh, they tend to be more uh, food service oriented than we are. Right. So let's talk about ghost kitchens. Um, you know, we, we, we've been seeing a lot of money, um, you know, investment money uh, being sent toward the ghost kitchen way. Um, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, particularly during the pandemic, um, you know, a lot of uh, ramping up of, uh, of ghost kitchens. Um, so where do you see they are now and where do you see they're going in the future? Yeah. Uh, I love that question too. Cause the, w one of the first tours that we gave, uh, <clears throat> to, um, to some possible investors after our initial round was to some people who it turns out were involved with a major ghost kitchen development that came, that came to be, um, back, uh, I think back in 2016 or 2017. Um, and we've been fascinated by, by ghost kitchens ever since. And, and the idea, the kind of hypothesis of American ghost kitchens, I think is that, you can take really undervalued real estate or, or I should say, um, bad real estate really that is kind of low rent compared to what you might pay if you were in, you know, a quote unquote good location. And then you put, put an app on it, put it, put some gig workers on it. And then you're connecting that really low value real estate to high value consumers and creating all of this value, um, through, uh, through, you know, delivery apps. And, that model attempts to emulate the success of a, of a of a really interesting company, a really exciting company called Rebel Foods out of India, um, which I, I claims to be the biggest food delivery company in the world, and probably is. And and they really have nailed the the ghost kitchen concept. Um, but I believe future of ghost kitchens is what companies like. Um, well, like like Rebel Foods, or like um, uh, some some of the American companies that are that are doing. Um, uh, I, I, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to look up the uh, 
the name of this one company, um, uh, Franklin Junction, <laughs> is doing a kind of ghost kitchen. Um, is, is it has a kind of ghost kitchen offering that uh, they call host kitchens. So the notion that virtual brands and Host, host operations are going to keep on growing. I think that is true. That is the future of ghost kitchens, where you've got an existing restaurant, an existing hotel, some kind of existing food service operation, where you can supplement your income by private labeling brands for other people and getting that out to more people. That's, that's a real business. The ghost kitchen trend that we've seen over the past several years, which I think has been inflated by COVID, where you, you, you put food operations into, you know, low value real estate, I think that does not have so much shelf life left on it. Mm -hmm. And the big reason is that, you know, today still, um, you know, off-premise dining is, is still not the majority of, uh, of, of revenues for, for restaurants. Um, even with off-premise delivery is not, um, a dominating share of, 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 of that revenue stream. And it's really a, a small subset of restaurants that can survive primarily with off-premise and primarily with delivery. And so this idea of having ghost kitchens that have to still be close enough to customers that they can get their food delivered within 15 minutes, but that they only have a sales channel, which is delivery. I think this is actually kind of a crazy idea that if you've got good locations for restaurants, uh, for delivery, they're good locations for dining, they're good locations for grab and go, they're good locations for all that stuff. And so limiting yourself to a single sales channel is, uh, is kind of a mistake. Right. So you, you mentioned that, that you opened up in Chicago during the pandemic. Yes. So what was that like um, to, you know, be you know, opening up a facility while we're dealing with all of these other things that were greatly affecting the restaurant industry? Yeah. Wow. Well, you asked who our competition is. And, and I said, we really don't have any true competition. And the closest thing to competition that we have is ghost kitchens. So if you've never been to Amped before, I couldn't fault you for assuming that we're a ghost kitchen. And so when we opened in Chicago, that's naturally what most people assumed we, we were. Uh, but we're, again, we're set up much more for production, much more for people who are doing uh, everything from consumer packaged goods to restaurant commissary, et cetera. And so um, communicating who we are to people while there's a lockdown and you know you can't really have tours the way you 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 would in a normal market um that was a that was a big challenge for us and getting people over the hump of understanding what amped is um but i'm i'm really excited that Today we're going strong in Chicago. People have figured it out. We're <clears throat> we're approaching um you know, we're 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 leasing up rapidly and uh we, we even have some of our, our tenants from LA who've opened up Chicago operations who've who've uh, come out there with us and, and we're really proud of that too. So Early in the pandemic, there was a rush on food trucks because yeah. a lot of people who were in the industry were realizing that they didn't have a control over what they were doing and they wanted to have that control. So are you finding now that you're tapping into that same kind of entrepreneurial level where 
people want to have more control over what they're doing and are taking a chance to, um, you know, to to focus on something that may have only been a, a pipe dream in the in the past. Yeah, I, I love that framing of it because you're exactly right. Uh, you know, we saw this when we opened up our first location in L.A. back in 2014. We were still in the recovery from the previous crash. And what we saw was, a, was exactly what you said. A lot of people who either had food food companies, uh, restaurants, and, and they wanted to get more control of their cooking and their operations and their production. We also saw people who just wanted to get more control of their lives, frankly, and were done, you know, working for the man, as it were, and wanted to start that food company that had been gnawing at them for a while. Um, you know, to, to your to your point about about control of production, that is a key value that we offer our tenants. Because uh, you know, if, if you're starting out in a shared kitchen, one of the biggest complaints you hear from people who are operating in that sort of environment is, you know, they're, they're, they're filthy. I don't know what the guy next to me is doing. You know, maybe he, you know, maybe he's going to do something to my food that's going to damage the quality. I don't know. Or, or you show up and you spend the first hour and a half scrubbing right. everything because <laughs> you can't, you can't stand the way it, what it looks or smells. Uh, at, at Amped, it's your, it's your room. And we have a staff, we have a team at each location that keeps the building spotless. So when you're outside of your room, you can rest assured that you're in a top quality production environment. The second issue goes to sort of the other and the other bookend of, of the spectrum where, you know, food companies would get too big to self-produce and they would have to start looking at contract manufacturing, co-manufacturing, co et cetera, as a way to get their products out to market. And as anybody in the food industry knows, you know, the, the, the thing that tasted delicious on your stovetop at home or in your, your test kitchen, it's not going to survive that journey to scale without a lot of tweaking. So many food brands, they're, they're, the story of how they ended was they got a big order from a major retailer and they, you know, they, they found that the minimum, the minimum order at every co-packer out there was, you know, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars $300,000. And so they spent their entire life savings on a single run of their product and it wasn't very good. And that was it. You know, game over. Right. And we, we never want that to be the case for our tenants. And so when you, when you come to Amped and you can self-manufacture, uh, you can make that journey to scale with, with a lot more certainty that you're not going to blow all of your resources before you know what you're doing. And, and my favorite example of this is actually the Beyond Burger, uh, cause you know, Beyond Meat, uh, which had major resources, uh, came to Amped early on to launch the Beyond Burger. And they piloted it for national production out of a 600-square-foot kitchen wow. at, uh, at, at one of our facilities. And they were able to do it because all the wholesale licensing was available, all the production capacity was available. And literally every week, they'd have a quality meeting, and they would tweak it and get it exactly right and incorporating feedback from the from from the front lines and by the time they made their multi-million dollar I mean literally multi-million dollar yeah. investment in a manufacturing line they knew exactly what they were doing and had and could could have a lot of confidence and so again that that's that's the sort of thing that we offer our tenants so one of the things we that we didn't um, discuss um, is that you do have the ability to handle um, you know, special dietary requirements. And, sure. and, um, and can you talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah. So every room at Amped, as I mentioned, has a door that locks and you're, it's your space and nothing comes in there that you don't bring in there. Uh, we also designed our HVAC systems to provide 100% fresh makeup air in every room. So there's no chance that even if somebody in the room next to you is using, you know, peanuts or gluten or whatever, that that's going to make it into the air system and blow into your space. It's just going to be fresh outside air. And so we do have quite a few people that are doing uh, special special sorts of production, everything from gluten-free to nut-free to uh, kosher and halal and, and, uh, and, and organic. So what are some of the key challenges for Amped as you grow? Um, you know, and where do you kind of hope to see yourself in five years? Mm. Again, a really live question for us. So thank you for asking it. Um, the biggest challenge initially was that nobody knew who we were or what we were. And the joke that we uh, laughed about once we closed our first deal was that we were two real estate developers without deep balance sheets, building a product with no comparables for tenants with no credit. <laughs> and that is not the recipe for success in the no. real estate world. But, but... I guess uh, we had some we had some early uh, funders like like Genesis LA and and uh, and uh, Capital Impact Partners and others who who understood what we were doing and believed in it. Now you know lo LISC, the Local Initiative Support Corporation, is a, is, a, is a great financial partner. Blue Hub Capital, um, uh, Chicago Community Loan Fund, a, a, bun a bunch of people like this who are getting the concept and are willing to put money into the project uh, so, so they, they, they work. Um, you know, we saw a lot of failure in people doing food-oriented projects, companies like Pilotworks and, and, uh, and others. And so one of the challenges that we wanted to address with AMP, and I think we have, is each of our locations stands on its own two feet. Each of our locations is profitable. And we own our own real estate. So there's no chance that somebody's going to come to us and, you know, tell us that they're not going to renew the lease. So we, we want to have the kind of control over our real estate that allows us to provide that certainty to our tenants that we're going to be here in two years and five years. And we're going to be able to keep on offering what, 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 what they need. So the biggest challenge as, as we grow, quite honestly, and I think this is a stage a lot of companies go through is, is, staffing up and making sure that we have a way of taking our culture of excellence and bringing that to each of the new locations that that we open we have a wonderful operations team um and uh, you know the, the really the biggest challenge is keeping people on airplanes all the time flying around making sure that stuff is is working um and also finding um you know f finding staff who get what we do and are skilled at what we do and have the passion for our tenants like we do um and you know, there's no every job at Ampt is a job that didn't exist before there was an Ampt and so finding the right people for those positions is uh is and even being able to describe the positions is is a challenge that we're we're, we're um, enjoying facing right now. And I'd, I'd say that's kind of the most live issue for us as we grow. So obviously, staffing is a huge issue for the restaurant industry. You know, particularly right now as we're in the yeah. big summertime and and people want to go out and and eat and hang out with friends. Um, so yeah. you know what. What is some effective advice that you can offer to hire and retain staff? Well, 
it's obviously essential to treat people well. Um, giving people a purpose is huge. That I mean, we all, this is a cliche now, but a, jo- a job isn't just a paycheck. And if that's if if you're hiring people and thinking that they're going to keep on working for you just because you pay them, even if you pay them well, you're going to be training new staff all the time, and that's going to keep you down. One of the things again that I'm I'm really proud of at AMP is we have a mission and we have a purpose. And that and that mission is to make all of our tenants wildly successful. And that translates down to every member of our team. And when, when you walk around our buildings and you see the guys on the floor driving the forklifts, doing doing the maintenance work, et cetera, they're I mean, they're high-fiving the company that just got a major order from Whole Foods. Uh, they're part of of that success. And that's, that's what keeps our staff going. Um, I can also say that, and again, this is, I, I don't mean to give you uh, an, an answer that's all about, all about AMP, but um, a lot of times companies at AMP will hire people who uh, need extra hours who are working at the neighbor next door and they just see, oh, these guys are really good. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, to have them work for me too. And so the best team members inside the building often work for multiple companies. And just being part of a community where you can feel 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 around for, you know, for the, for the best people, for the best resources generally is invaluable. If you're if your only source of recruiting is online or uh you know you know through through employment agencies etc um I think you're going to be limited when you've got access to an actual human network where you can say, Oh yeah, yeah. My, 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 my friend next door, my brother, this guy I used to work with this, this, this person who, who I knew from, from, from school, like they're all looking for work and they're all really good. Like when you get those, those individual networks going, it supercharges everything about your business. And I would say using those networks is key. So you kind of get a sense of, uh, you know, what trends and what uh, what are things that are unique uh, coming up in the food industry? So, you know, because you get your finger on the pulse of things. So, you know, what are some kind of trends that you're noticing from some of your tenants that people um, are interested in and will be on their plates in the future? Yeah, so the 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 biggest trend in covid was a shift to uh, meal subscription. Uh, We've got several meal subscription companies that are doing great and have expanded very significantly uh, during the pandemic and are actually still going really, really strong. Um, the, the, the combine that with a desire for people to really know where their food came from. It's funny. You see, there, there's sort of a com- the competing set of trends right now where there's food tech. So food that's made by robots, delivered by robots, you know, with, without, without a soul in essence, but still you know, sometimes they do really good products. And this, this is a real growth area. And we, we actually do have some tenants who are very tech heavy and are doing some really exciting stuff. At the same time, more and more you see, larger brands wanting to put a personal stamp on what they, what they do. Um, if you can say that your food was handmade, if you can say it was made by this particular chef, um, that's really meaningful. And we're starting to see some of the meal subscription companies actually, you know, put the pictures of the chefs and the stories of, of their careers on, uh, on the items that they sell. And so, kind of um, on, on the one hand, you got the tech. On the other hand, you've got this desire for a soul and to know where your food came from. And then there's the 
there, there's the stuff that everybody's been tracking, you know, alternative proteins, plant-based food, uh, fermentation, stuff like this. We're, we're seeing all of it. And I think there, uh, I think, I think plant-based remains the biggest growth area. Right. Yeah. I always say it, it transcended the trend. It's not even, you know, it's just right. so much <laughs> of something that people are so fascinated and interested in that it's, you can't even call it a trend. Um, yeah, exactly. So, you know, what we learned a lot during the pandemic is um, that restaurants are the fabric of our communities. You know, people yeah. move to a certain place and they are, are part of their community and they want to be have a thriving community. You know, it affects the real estate values and everything. So, you know. Uh, so many of the people that you work with are people who are coming from local communities. And, um, you know, what can people do, you know, what can they do to best support them now? I, I mean, it's the same thing as always. It's, it's eat, eat there, be nice to the servers, be nice to the owners, order from, order from your local restaurant when you can. Um, that That's the obvious stuff. The less obvious stuff is something that, I'm also quite passionate about and I'm working quite hard on in, in my civic life, which is to lower the barriers to entry and lower the barriers for compliance for your local restaurant. Because, right, you know, for the past, say, 70 years, um, city zoning codes and other regulations have just grown more and more strict. And I'm actually generally not talking about health regulations, which there's usually a good reason for and are, are really adding value to, to, to restaurants. If you, you know, if, if you can go to any restaurant in America and have a really good idea that you're not going to get sick eating there. And I think that's an amazing innovation right. that often goes underappreciated. But at the same time, that, that restaurant where you know you're not going to get food poisoning has probably had to spend six or nine months paying tens of thousands of dollars to, to expediters and others just so they could get outdoor dining approved. Right. right. Or, or um, maybe they're being forced by their local government. This is not as true in the place like New York, but it's true all over the, you know, the country that may, maybe in order to be allowed to serve beer and wine, they were required to hire a valet company or something like this. And and these requirements, which are often more superstitious than they are practical, uh, bleed restaurants of really valuable resources. And so I, I I would say, if if you want to support your local your local business, and you want to go beyond just eating there as much as you can and being nice to them, I would say demand from your local city council person that they make it an over-the-counter process to get outdoor dining approved for that restaurant, make it an over-the-counter process for certain kinds of easy building permits, um, like you know, move, rearranging the interior so you can reconfigure for different types of sales operations, um, adding refrigeration, whatever it is, uh, without having to go through months and months and months of zoning approval. Because that's the stuff that kills small business. Right. I know, uh, you know, in a lot of places, you know, where they had outdoor dining right at the beginning of the pandemic and, and everything was ramped up, everything's, everything's fine. And then the next year, then it, all of those regulations and things started kind of coming in and, yeah. you know, and, the, and people don't realize that because they, they want what they had before and they didn't know that it was some that it was just a temporary fix. Um, and, uh, but I think people, people do want it. I think they've, uh, they've shown that, you know, it's not just a, um, 
you know, something that was a pandemic related that they want the options um, and to have more available options and more, uh, you know, just more seating in general at places that they frequent. Absolutely. Some places have done a great job of this, like the state of Connecticut was a national leader, in fact, when the pandemic happened in in making permanent changes to ease the pathway for restaurants trying to do these sort of, you know, walkable sorts of uh, uh, operations. But I I couldn't agree with you more. And if there's one thing that I would say we need to change, it's minimum parking requirements. Mm -hmm. Because restaurants know how much parking they need, and they're going to get as much parking as, as they need, or as, as much as they can get. And and we shouldn't we shouldn't make people go through an entire accounting process just to put another table outside, just to squeeze another table into the corner on the inside, and, and go have to you know lease parking from the car wash next door in order to please the zoning gods so they can do a couple more covers. That shouldn't be the world we live in. Right. Well, thank you so much. This has been great. Hey, thank you so much for having me.